would invite you to join me in Isaiah chapter 9. We have been in this passage throughout this season of Advent. And in some sense, we have been building up to this point. As we've looked to the various names given to the sweet little Jesus boy. Prophesied over him some 700 years before his birth. We've seen the names. The names repeated in Isaiah 9, chapter 6. And as I said, they build to a climax this morning as we see that all of these names ultimately point to the child's reign. A reign marked by what he brings. Peace. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we come to this text. Would you bow with me? Father, we praise you for the gift of the Christ child and praise you for the peace that he brings. And so, Father, as we come to this text, as we come to your word, as your word is is preached, I ask for the anointing of your spirit on all who would hear. That we would not merely hear, but we would see Jesus, our Savior, the Prince of Peace. Do this, we ask, in his precious name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Isaiah was prophesying the birth of a child. A child given to us. And as Isaiah tells us in verse 6, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. 
But what is this peace? You know, so many of us, as we try and define peace, we define peace by what is missing. But God does the opposite. God defines peace by what is present. So as we anticipate the birth of this child, can we for a moment flash forward beyond his birth and see a scene from his life that illustrates the point? Mark's gospel account in chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, there is a picture of Jesus and the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee, crossing across the sea in a little boat. And as they move across the sea, a, a great windstorm comes up. The waves are crashing about, violently coming into the boat, and the disciples, rightfully so, are terrified. Now, it's one thing to read about a great windstorm on a page, but it's a different thing entirely to experience it. Have you ever been in a boat out in the ocean when a storm comes up? Have you ever been tossed to and fro in the waves? Have you ever been in a boat that is rocking violently? In that moment, your stomach and your soul longs for peace and quiet. How do you think the disciples felt that day on the Sea of Galilee in a small little wooden boat? Well, they were terrified. They were terrified, and we see that in Mark 4, both in their actions and in their words. Their actions, what did they do? They went and woke Jesus up. That's right. The storm raging, Jesus was sleeping soundly. They woke him up. Their words, Jesus, don't you care that we are about to perish? They feared for their lives. They saw the certainty of death. And Jesus woke up and simply said, peace, be still. And the great windstorm gave way to a great calm. The irony of it all was that as the disciples saw the power that the Prince of Peace possessed, they were more afraid. Because in that moment, they knew that he, the one with them in the boat, was more powerful than this storm they had just experienced. It was a fear that was misguided, though maybe not inappropriate. They got a glimpse of the power that he possessed, but you and I, this day, through the scene, we get a glimpse into the peace that he brings. How do you define peace? Maybe it's similar to the way the disciples defined peace that day on the Sea of Galilee. Again, I believe that we define peace so often by what is absent. Conflict, strife, suffering, 
When these things are absent, it is in those moments when we feel peace. But God does not define peace that way. The peace of God, the shalom of God is not defined by what is absent, but by what is present. Rather, by who is present. On the water that day, Jesus was present. The favor of God was present. The storm raged around the disciples that day, but the storm did not have the power to define shalom. That was up to Jesus, the prince of peace. The peace of God is defined by his blessing, by his favor, by his presence. A presence which redeems conflict. A presence which shapes suffering. The Prince of Peace, He brings peace. Because He is our peace. That's a scene from His life. But let's go back to the text. Let's let's look to this, this prophecy of the the child, and let's see how the, the text describes the work of the Prince of Peace. Verses 2 and 3 describe the blessing of his presence. Verse 2 uh, describes his presence in terms of light. His very presence illumines the darkness, and as John tells us, the darkness cannot, will not overcome it. Verse 3 moves on to describe the blessing of his presence in the context of joy. There's an emphasis in verse 3 on joy, the, the rejoicing that we will enjoy and experience in his presence before him. Verses 2 and 3 describe the blessing of his presence. Verses 4 and 5 describe the blessing of the victory that he wins. Verses, in verse 4, the victory over the oppressor. And then verse 5, the end of all conflict. It is a description of peace that comes through his presence. And this prophecy that Isaiah brings is a prophecy for God's people of all time. Speaking to the blessings of peace. I I want us to consider this peace in three brief contexts. The, The first is this peace on a personal level. We experience the peace of Jesus Christ through his quiet presence. We We experience comfort through his presence. Maybe the children understand this, maybe, excuse me, maybe the children understand this more than than most of us. An unsettled child is, is anxious, wondering about when they feel all alone, but it generally takes nothing more than the presence of a loving parent in their lap (laughs) to quiet their anxious fears it's the same for us it's the same for us as we focus not on the storms but on the personal presence of Jesus in our lives we experience his calming soothing impact but this is important The peace that we experience 
is founded on the peace that we receive. You see, the Prince of Peace, he won the peace by putting an end to the hostility that existed between God and his children. The Prince of Peace ended the hostility by taking it on himself on the cross. And and through his taking the hostility, the wrath of God on himself on the cross, we are united to him in a blessed, eternal, peaceful union. And that peace is not defined by absence. Absence of suffering, absence of strife, but by presence. A presence that we taste now and will experience an eternal relationship with the Prince of Peace. So friends, receive. Receive His peace. His personal peace. But this personal peace leads to an inter personal peace. Ephesians 2 14 tells us that Jesus himself is our peace. Ephesians 2 14 tells us that Jesus is our peace in the context of the Jew-Gentile relationship. Two groups of people who formerly lived in conflict, who formerly did not like one another, who were formerly separated culturally Physically, spiritually, and yet, Jesus comes. And he brings with him a personal peace as he takes the wrath of God on himself. And and through this personal peace, he redeems us to God the Father, but he also redeems us and unites us to one another. United in Christ In our union in Christ, we're united to one another, Jew, Gentile. Those who formerly were at war with Christ and with one another, through Christ, are joined into an eternal family, reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, so that the peace that we experience with one another... It's not based on the absence of disagreement. You and I all know that when we get together, we, we have disagreement, but our peace is stronger than our disagreement because our peace rests on the presence of Christ's gracious favor. Seek peace with one another in the family of God because He who unites us is greater than the things that separate us and ultimately the peace he brings moves beyond a personal peace and an interpersonal peace to a cosmic peace revelation 21 5 jesus speaks to the broad sweep of his ministry and all of redemptive history by saying this behold i am making all things new it's a summary A summary of his ministry as he doesn't make all new things as one pastor recently shared with me. Instead, he makes all things new. He redeems all of creation. 
He redeems institutes. He redeems our work, our relationships. He redeems it all. It's a cosmic peace. It is why we summarize the vision for our church as joining in His work of redemption so that all things begin to reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of our triune God. Friends, this work of redeeming all things is a work that is ongoing now. And we join in that work as we bring Christ's presence to bear. Our families, our jobs, in our recreation at the ball field. We bring Christ's presence to bear and thereby join in His work of redemption so that this cosmic peace begins to take hold. It is the way that you and I are instruments of His peace. But that peace will only be fully and finally fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. There is a movement that... I'm trying to lay out for us a movement that is clear in all of Scripture that is summarized in this this very brief name, the Prince of Peace. It is the movement of peace in our hearts that extends to our relationships and moves to our world. Experience it now. And know the certainty of hope that only comes through Jesus Christ that you will experience it fully. In the not yet. So join. Join in this work of peace. It is a work of peace that Jesus brings and we experience through the reign of peace. There is this movement in the text that that comes together ultimately in verse 7, a verse that seems to pull all of this passage together. Verses 1 through 5 point to the various names we see in verse 6. Verse 6 builds to the Prince of Peace. In verse 7 builds on this final name, explaining it in context. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Prince of Peace, he will reign over all and through his reign, peace will reign. But do you hear this verse? You hear tones of dominion. You hear tones of governance, of reign. These are not words that we normally associate with a baby, right? And they're words that we're not sure we want to associate with this baby. Governance, dominion, reign... We don't associate these words with this baby because we're jaded, aren't we? Particularly now. Presidents, they come and go. If you've seen Hamilton, which 
I've experienced a couple of times with my daughter lately. King George kind of steals the show with his little entrances onto the scene, and, and he sings, Oceans rise, empires fall. We're jaded about the idea of dominion and reign because of what we experience in our world. And maybe that jadedness shows up in the form of of apathy towards any dominion, much less the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe it shows up in the form of desperation. Where will we find this government This government that Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah 7. We're desperate to find this government that will maintain and grow peace. But in your desperation, in my desperation, we must know this. That Isaiah 9 bears no connection to a Republican or a Democratic party. Though, it does point us to this call to impact earthly governments. But more foundationally, it speaks to an everlasting government. The government that the Prince of Peace will bring, that he has brought and is growing because the Prince of Peace came to be the King of Peace. A kingdom of which there will be no end. Jesus taught us this in his life. That his kingdom, the kingdom of peace, It is not a kingdom of this world. His is the kingdom of God. And you and I, if we are in Christ, we are citizens of His kingdom. And we will experience true peace only when we come under His reign, when we make ourselves subject to His reign. Under his reign, his peace will increase with no end. Remember how we defined peace? It was not by what is missing, but by what is present. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. We define peace by what is present, his favor, his blessing. This is a full-orbed view of peace that comes regardless of circumstance. And in the words of this passage, we see that its increase will know no end. Friends, every moment of eternity with Jesus will be better than the previous. His creativity knows no bounds. His blessing knows no bounds. Can you imagine an eternity with the most beautiful and glorious artist, the most gracious king, the most present friend? Can you imagine? And as glorious as this rain sounds, I want you to think about the way his kingdom is established and is maintained. Contrast it with earthly kings who grow their kingdoms through warfare, through manipulation, through political maneuvering. But Jesus, Jesus, 
His weapons are the spiritual weapons of peace. He establishes his kingdom and upholds his kingdom with justice and with righteousness. Jesus is the one who justly pronounces and ordains judgment. But in his judging of the elect, he not only exercises righteousness, he transfers it. He gives the righteousness by which we are judged. This is the way that he establishes his kingdom and maintains his kingdom. He is the one who seals his children for all eternity in peaceful, blessed union with God. What a glorious child. And what a gloriously different reign. Maybe you hear it from my illustrations this morning, what I've been watching of late. (laughs) Hamilton and the crown. Crown is the story of uh, Queen Elizabeth and her family and their reign in, in England. And I suppose there are some endearing qualities to uh, that family and to their reign, but there are many that are less so. As you watch the show, it paints a picture of a family that lives a life that is isolated whose goal in life is to propagate this isolation, this, uh, this distance, hoping to hold on to veneration, to a form of earthly worship. But friends, the message of Christmas is this. The Prince of Peace did not remain aloof in the castle. He came to us. He came to be with us. He came to know us and to be known by us. He came to bring peace by purchasing peace that we might enjoy peace. Friends, in addition to all, in addition to worship, in addition to submission, all of which are appropriate For the King of Kings, Christmas tells us that He came. And in coming, the peace that He brings comes through His presence. It comes and is enjoyed through relationship. This Christmas, don't settle. Don't settle for a lesser peace defined by a mere absence of conflict. Look to a peace that is both secured by and maintained through the presence of the Prince of Peace. He came. And He came for a relationship with you. Enjoy this relationship as He extends His gracious reign in every area of your life. Let us pray. Oh, great God. We praise you for you are praiseworthy. We we bow in awe of you for you are awesome. We submit to you for you are our king. 
Oh, great God. Give us hearts to receive your peace and to experience that peace through deep and abiding relationship with you, our Prince. May that be the the clearest message we hear this Christmas as we celebrate your incarnation. In Christ's name, amen.